This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 70 and we have with us a very special guest, everyone's favorite human, Mr. <laughs> Paul Redman. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, man. You you nailed the episode I know. number. Well, I'm I really mean, proud of you. you. The, Great the, job. You know, you got to hear my cheat, my cheat sheet man, Mr. Michael over there, tell me the episode right before. And I will, oh. I will go ahead and let you know that this happens uh, on occasion where he'll tell me that, and about a minute later you're, I'll ask him again. So you're, you're basically don't be too like impressed. one of those don't elite actors that just turns up and has someone give them their <laughs> lines on set. Line, line, <laughs> and Mr. Bennett, here you go. <laughs> oh, oh my. I love hearing you uh, forget what episode it is on the recording. So it's actually kind of something I look okay. forward to well, every that's episode. That's good to know. That's good to know. So. It makes up for all the other times I, uh, you know, with, you know, what recording through my headphones and all those fun <laughs> things. So, oh, anyway. All right. Well, Mr. Paul Redmond uh, is on the show today to talk to us about his new course that has been released uh, on Docker. Paul, tell us the name of your course and uh, give us kind of a brief overview of what it is. Sure. So my course is Docker for PHP developers. I was on here earlier this year with the book and I decided to release it early and I started working on videos. So now the videos are done. So the course is a complete course. It does target PHP and there's a lot of Laravel stuff in there. But um, at the same time, I, I go over the Docker basics and really it's about learning how to use Docker. I mean, that's the most important thing here. But there are some quirks with PHP and other PHP runtime things that you need to learn. And I kind of cut my teeth on those and, um, you know, I've been using Docker for about three years and decided to put it together in a course. So I've kind of distilled those three years of learning and practice with it into about an, uh, let's see, seven and a half hour course. The main track's about, uh, I think about four hours. And then the, the last three hours are about like, nice. um, setting up a Laravel environment. From okay. Scratch. So it's in total, in total, how many hours is it then? Is it seven? Is that all to give? Okay. It's about seven, wow, seven that's and awesome. a half hours. Yeah. That's some seriously yeah. yep. like solid content in there, dude. Seven hours. That's no joke. Mm -hmm. I, know, I, I, I was trying to aim for about four mm -hmm. uh, recorded, but um, yeah, it kind of ballooned. So I guess I did hit that with a basic track of like going over all the PHP basics. And it do, the, the basic course, you can buy just that part of the course, but I prefer, you'd probably prefer buying the, the nicer one, the it has a Laravel course in it as well. Um, I go over a lot of stuff like automating GitLab builds. Um, if you have some images on Docker Cloud that you want to share with others, you can automate that by, you know, pushing to GitHub and automatically triggering a Docker image build. So I go over stuff like that, as well as working with web servers and PHP specific stuff. One of my favorite parts is um, I go over like working mm, with nice. the legacy application. That's one of the reasons why I actually got into Docker was we had some older apps that weren't running at the time. I believe it was PHP 5.6 and 7 was on the way. And we had some 5.3 apps that we needed to run and nobody could run them locally. Everybody was tired of using Vagrant. And um, so I finally just started kicking the tires with Docker. And eventually we just started running Docker in production for those environments. And it was just 
the thing that really sold me on it was how much confidence I had in even these older applications and getting them out to production and not being afraid to like refactor them now that I had my own environment, you know, versus like editing on oh the my words, you're speaking like my language. <laughs> you are speaking my language. I literally have like a, uh, yeah. a application right now that's running on five, three and like, it's on my list to like get it to seven, one. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'm totally in that boat where it's just like you are so afraid to change something because the environment is so specific to that one box that it's living on. And it's just like mm-hmm. paralyzing because you can't do, you know, you just feel like your hands are tied. There's just not much you can do. Yeah. The other the other thing that we really liked about it, too, is like the the server configuration would be off somewhere else. You know, maybe we, if you are lucky enough to have an ops team, they have their own server configuration for production. And you just hope it works when you're working on it in your own local environment that's way different possibly than the server production. Um, There's also, you know, there's kind of these silos. And now you're bringing that code back into the repository. And the developers can see that uh, server configuration code. It's right in the code base now. And I think it, like, kind of brings ops and developers closer together, which is one of the things I really liked about it. Absolutely. Eventually, we can just get rid of ops entirely, right? We just just get rid of ops. That's right. Well, I mean... I, I hate to break it to you, but yeah. um, I'm I'm kind of a one-man team at uh, my yeah. my day job, and ops my ops team is Google Cloud. So I mean, I use Kubernetes in production, and it's amazing what I can do as a developer without much support from ops. Yeah, it's easy, especially now that everything's containerized. You don't have the same, I guess, concerns that we had, you know, even five years ago, where you might deploy some code onto a server that. Because you're primarily a developer, you don't necessarily know how to configure it properly. You might have issues with, um, I mean, the classic one was with CentOS, where you would just turn off SE Linux because you could never get things to work when SE Linux was running. So, you know, now that now that everything's containerized and it's easier to, to, to deploy and to manage end to end, you don't really have to worry about that as much as, as what you would have had to, you know, as I said, five years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, can I ask you a quick question? Um, both of you, actually, I'd like to hear your answers. Long? How long does it take to onboard a new developer at your company? Still working on it. He's been here for two years, and uh, no, I'm just kidding. No, he's he's doing fine now. Um, but uh, you know, really, I've only had that experience twice, I suppose. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess suppose it, de- it depends on your definition of onboard. I mean, there are still pieces of code that he can't work on because, like. Mm, because of like regulations, I guess, SOC 2 compliance stuff. Like I mm-hmm. can't give him access to particular things that like live on mm-hmm. this one server, like that you have to be able to access in order to modify okay. code kind of thing. So but let me, let me ask it this way um, to start serving like responses and, you know, running your web application oh, yeah. locally. So oh, like sure. from handing them their laptop to running locally on their Ooh, machine. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Maybe like, you know, a lot of the stuff that we use now is pretty vanilla and we use, we use Forge and uh, mm-hmm. Envoyer to serve all that stuff and really try to stick to that configuration as much mm-hmm. as possible for any new apps that we're building. So really, um, mm-hmm. honestly, not long. I mean, a week, yeah. maybe. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Um, and that's the other thing I was going to say too, like Forge is also, in my opinion, the same thing. I, I tried to get my, my last company to use Forge just because it, it takes a lot of the operations Absolutely. pain out of your day to day, but we had our own in, internal infrastructure and even still we could have used it, but, um, you know, yeah. companies are yeah. very hesitant to use these kinds yeah, yeah. of solutions sometimes. So Docker is a great fit for that. Yeah, we um. Well, I was speaking with you in the last couple of weeks, Paul, and my first step was in in preparation for bringing a new developer on, and mm-hmm. basically getting all of our tests and everything running in CI, which made the transition to getting it running locally, in you know in a Docker environment locally much easier. So 
we had a new developer start on Monday and by Monday afternoon, based on what I'd done with with that CI process, he'd already built himself a Docker container or a Docker image and he was up and running on day one, which was mm-hmm. which was magical. And 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 that was with our crusty legacy application as well. So Wow, that's great. The other thing I was going to mention too, and I go over this in my course, um, let's say you want to use something like service Disco- discovery or, you know, console, for instance, you can easily get that uh, spun up in, in minutes within Docker and not touch your local machine and try it out, which yep. is really cool. Like, you know, start playing around with it within your environment. So it, it very, it encourages you very much to experiment yeah. with your environment. Yeah, that is, that is pretty nice. So I've got Redis and then our production environment uses RabbitMQ for a lot of stuff. So it's nice to be able to just spin up a RabbitMQ server inside Docker and not have to worry about it and just run it when I need to test things with it and then shut it down when I'm done without having to worry about, you know, installing with Brew and then having all of that stuff installed on, on my local machine. Yeah, that's handy. Um, let's get, kind of getting back to the course, though, the video course itself, is, is this, I know obviously it's a companion piece to kind of to the, um, to the book that you put out earlier, but is it hit for hit down the list, straight down the list of, of uh, kind of chapters? You know what I mean? Is it this video goes along with this chapter or does it take a kind of a different path? The main track um, takes a very similar path. And the reason being, at least for me, I like to learn from different yeah. um, mediums mm-hmm. at the same time. So reading something and then later watching a video on it, it kind of reinforces those ideas. So early that was kind of my goal was I, I want these to, you know, work for the medium that they are, be it a book or a video, but also to complement each other and just use them together to help people learn how to use it. So that, that was kind of the the goal. And also sometimes you don't want to watch a video and you might be um, in a place where a book makes more sense to you. No, Yeah, for sure. So, um, Yeah. yeah. There, it, the videos do hit on a few other things, I think, a little better. For instance, like setting up CI, I believe, is a little easier to demonstrate. Like uh, I go through setting up GitLab CI and a pipeline for Laravel using GitLab CI with Docker. And that's a little tricky yes. to write up in a mm-hmm. book compared to showing somebody in a no, video. No, totally yeah. agree. And that's a video so that you've that included for free. We'll link it up in the show notes on the on Laravel, no- mm-hmm. Laravel News. You wrote an article announcing the yeah. course. And you've got also a, a special offer code. So why don't you tell us about the different bundles that you've got and the prices and, and what you get with the offer code? Sure. So I wanted to also, um, before I do that, explain that um, the GitLab part of Laravel, I'm, that's um, some of those videos I'm really proud of. They go over building your um, composer dependencies and then your front-end dependencies and then building the oh, Docker yes. image. So there's like that. three parts yeah. to this pipeline. Um, yeah, so the, the video I shared, go, it's like the last part when you're building the image, but there's, you know, building the composer dependencies, and I like to build them outside of Docker. So using GitLab, build, you know, install composer dependencies, ins- install frontend, copy them into the image when I'm building, and then validating the, uh, so uh, composer has this composer platform check requirements command. So it will just make sure that um, your your Docker environment has all the, the extensions that you need. So those CI videos go over all of that, um, you know, three or four videos, I believe. But um, sorry. So that being said, there's two packages. Um, there's a complete package which has everything in the basic course, as well as uh, a bunch of Laravel videos on setting up a Laravel environment from scratch with Docker. So I, it kind of reinforces the basic track. You you know, there is some repetition there, which I think is good for new people learning. Um, you can kind of skip those if you're a little more comfortable with Docker and get to the good stuff like setting up schedulers and queues in Docker. You know, I, like I said, there's the basic track, it's about four hours, and then the complete track is seven and a half hours. The seven and a half hour track, you'll also be able to upgrade later, uh, sorry, upgrade. 
if you get the seven and a half hour track, you'll um, be included in any future videos that I add. And I also, I already have some plans on adding a bunch like uh, some Kubernetes videos because um, I use Kubernetes in production with Google Cloud. So setting up the Laravel app in Kubernetes, as well as um, I'm going to do a WordPress oh, development a workflow just to kind of demonstrate, you know, for those that are developing WordPress plugins and they just want to spin up like a, WordPress environment for, um, you know, running those plugins and testing them with even different versions of PHP. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go through those. So if you get the complete bundle, you'll, any future videos I add to the course will be included. Nice. So, um, yeah, you, so that's basically You it. mentioned running uh, Kubernetes in production. There was Eric Junker who asked us on Twitter if you had any plans on either writing about that process, how you're using that in production, or if you're going to do any videos on that. Yep, that that um, is basically what I will do. So the the Laravel course will continue with um, deploying to Kubernetes. So the Laravel um, workflow that I demonstrate in the in those videos, um, it will just continue and show you how to deploy those to Kubernetes. Awesome, beautiful. So where can we buy the where can we buy the the uh, videos at, Paul? If if you link up the Laravel news announcement um, and you use the Laravel news code, um, it'll give you the discount on the videos, and you, so you can buy them from Gumroad. That's where I sell all of my videos, and be sure to go through the Laravel news link because that um, um, some of that the proceeds to that will go to supporting Laravel news, which we all know gives us the free news and um, you know gives gives us the podcast and all these great um, great things in the community. So um, supporting Laravel news is very important to me. So, um, yeah, that's that's the link, really, that um, if we link up in the show notes that they can get Absolutely. to the course we'll from. Absolutely, we'll do so, yep. Definitely do that. And uh, obviously, you know, we say this pretty much every week or every episode that we thank you very much for everything that you do do for not only the Laravel community, but specifically for Laravel News and, and for making mine and Jake's jobs really easy because we essentially come on and oh. we make a meal of reading your articles <laughs> most of the time, but we thank you for at least giving us a starting point. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I think you guys do a great job and you add some extra insights in there in your own commentary. So I think it's it's awesome. I, th I feel like we're a team here. Whether right or wrong, whether whether that commentary is right <laughs> or wrong, we, we'll say it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and I would encourage everybody to oh. get there as quickly as possible. I know right now that uh, Paul's made a very generous offer for all of our Laravel News listeners who they can get 45% uh, off, 45% on the complete video bundle, which takes it down to 139 and then the starter video bundle is 25% off, which takes it down to $99. So and we're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, paying Paul pretty much $25 for an hour of content, right? $25 per hour, $99 is a oh. steal for the starter bundle. And 140 is even more of a steal for the, the entire uh, video bundle. So oh. definitely go check that out. Support Paul, get some amazing content and uh, use Docker in your environment. Really looking forward to checking this out. And uh, I honestly, Paul, I think this is going to be huge for me. I, just even as you're talking about it, like bringing on new developers and and whatnot, you know, it's a massive crutch right now. Or not a crutch. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a massive limitation I have right now because it really it doesn't matter what developers I bring on. I don't have the ability to allow them to work on some of the code that we have in-house that's really legacy that I need help with. So it's like, mm -hmm. regardless, like I always kind of have you know, one hand working on old stuff over here that only I can work with. And then I kind of have to coordinate all the other stuff that only they, that, you know, that only they can kind of work on. So even just getting, you know, yeah. that stuff moved over to Docker and that's really kind of where it's going to have to start would be absolutely huge for us. I mean, yeah, just start with, start with development and get a yeah. good development workflow and then go from there. That's, yeah, that's, we're how, that's do what that. I did. I'm going to, I'm going to check this out, watch through, and uh, I'm sure I'll be hitting you up with questions. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate no you let, letting me come Absolutely on and talk cool. about McCourt. Hey, before we go, we've got uh, Wilbur Powery and Andres Santibanez both said hello. Just just uh, better better get it out there so that their, their greetings get across. Um, but also Andres asked, uh, how how's things going with Java? <laughs> um, not great. Uh, <laughs> the type hinting isn't Long making story, your life but... easier? Um, I've Java keeps crossing my path, and so I was at Laracon. I was talking to him about Kotlin, and hey, should I just skip Java and just do Kotlin? And um, so yeah, we kind of talked about that at Laracon. He gave me some good insights there, but I do appreciate everybody's support that already has supported me, even if they've just uh, you know wished me good luck and just kind words. The community has been really supportive, and I really appreciate it. That's awesome. awesome. Glad to be. Well, thanks for stopping by and spending some time with us. Thanks, Paul, so much. All right, everybody, let's give it up for everyone's favorite human, Mr. Paul Redman. Yeah, thank you, Paul. He's amazing. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll stick around for the rest and just add a little commentary. No, 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 that'd be awesome. So it looks like uh, we have got, let's see, we've got a couple... Uh, applications and extensions that we're going to talk about. We've got a couple like packages. Um, I don't I think even so. know if that's the right word for it, packages. Uh, we've got a couple tutorials and then we've got some PHP 7.3 stuff. So let's go ahead and start with the one that Michael said he didn't want to talk about. But you know what, Not Michael, not everyone is so fortunate to be able to use Stripe, right? Well, I mean, I don't use Stripe. You don't use Stripe. Do you use uh, this Loon algorithm? To verify your credit card numbers? Not directly. Not directly. Okay. No. All right. So I'll just tell you what it is. So the Loon algorithm was developed in the 1950s by a scientist, and it's a simple checksum formula used to validate a variety of identification numbers. So in this particular instance, what we're talking about is credit card numbers. Uh, So if you've ever had to validate a credit card uh, in Laravel, this allows you to do this really easily by just including a new loon rule in your validation list. So there's that. Michael doesn't want to spend much time on it because he thinks that nobody should have to use it. I'm of a differing opinion. So there we go. There is the loon algorithm package for Laravel. You can find that in the show notes for this episode. What else? We've also got this uh, layer, layer tables, which is Ajax support of data tables. Michael, have you ever had to use data tables? I have. And I really wish that I didn't because it's always a uh, it's a harrowing experience. It is, you know. But honestly, like these things provide some pretty crazy value. Um, layer tables are or not layer tables, and just data tables, like data tables package. The, the thing, is, the reason why it's like so hairy is because it uses jQuery and it just feels like really sort of legacy ish, right? It sort of feels like it's um, it's an old style plugin where everything is just exposed through like this options object that gets passed in, and you always feel like you're like practically grepping the documentation to try and find that one special key that you need mm. in order to sort this thing the specific way. And um, yeah. I don't yeah. know. You know what I mean? That's just kind of how it feels. But The one thing that always gets me is that pagination is not immediately obvious. Like the even if you're using Ajax to load it in, the assumption is that you're going to load the entire data set and then use JavaScript to like paginate that in the client browser, which if you're if you've got you know, thousands of records that can get dicey. Yes, and it can. Oh yeah. It just happened to me before too. Right. So you just do like a query, like claims colon colon all or users colon colon all. Right. And then you pass it to the front end and then the data tables is supposed to iterate through that and present it in a paginated format, which gets really 
yucky, really gross. So I think this package handles that for you. Does it? Does it? I should hope so. That would be nice. That would be amazing. Let's take a look through it. Uh, so Why don't says, we ask Paul Redmond who wrote the article? Well, it says this package helps with simple requirements of displaying data <laughs> from eloquent models into data tables with AJAX support. <clears throat> um, so yeah, Paul, what do you what do you know? Does this sp- support the pagination portion of it? So for yeah, so for me, like the, just doing like data table stuff is always I don't know. It's just like the stuff I always keep putting off because it's just not enjoyable and I don't like working on this stuff. Uh, but. Yeah, this supports like uh, asynchronously loading the data tables because you don't want to load thousands Correct. of records all at once. And so this takes care of like uh, formatting the columns and the endpoints and um, gives you AJAX support out of the box. It just it kind of makes it a little more convenient to do it. I haven't used this uh, package personally, kind of have my own little custom view solution, but I don't really have uh, some of the needs that I've had in the past of, you know, that this data table uh, jQuery plugin provides. So it is nice if you do have to use it. Um, it'll take care of like dealing with the Ajax stuff and formatting columns, which is always, in my opinion, kind of the boilerplate stuff that you have to write every time. It it's is a little annoying. Um, I'm, I'd be curious to know, you said you have a custom view solution that you're using? Yeah, just really basic and sometimes even just Laravel pagination uh, if I can get away with it. Like I said, I I, just, I don't like working on like no me data either, table which stuff. is why all of, I mean, many me. times it's sort of like screw it, I'll just put it in a data table, and then if I have to change it later, I will, right? But if this will yeah. if this will solve the problems that I have right now in you know in a half hour, as opposed to having to develop a whole bunch of stuff on my own, then I'll definitely do that. What do you use, Michael? Do you use data tables regularly, or do you have some sort of view thing that you use as well? Um, we like we use just the data tables itself. Because we have lots of like legacy things, so we don't AJAX anything in. We load it into the page and then just pass the array as JSON into the. No, we render the. I think, you just I'm render sure the we page. just render the yeah. table and then yeah, and then data tables just like hijacks it and paginates Correct. and does whatever whatever else it needs to do. Yeah, yeah, you could do like the whole entire record set if it's uh, depending on how big it is. Yeah. It's sometimes easier to do yeah. it that way. So there's that. I, I did. Because we, I mean, our internal application uses Bootstrap, so I found there's a. I'll link it up in the show notes. It's actually kind of nice. It's a view components. I think it's called View Bootstrap or Bootstrap View. When I figure it out, I'll put it in the show notes. But it implements all of the JavaScript from Bootstrap and all of the the additional functionality that it gives you in View, <laughs> and looks like it does it all with like render render templates nice what are they yeah called? Yep. renderless components yeah so you can like pass in slots and do all kinds of things like overriding individual scoped pieces of your i don't know what the terminology is you can tell that i don't use view a lot no i know what you mean <laughs> but, scope um, slots yeah so, but it'll yeah yeah so it allows you to pass all of the data in and override templates of individual bits and pieces so i use that to do some um you know sortable filterable tables but again it's still i didn't really look too deeply into it but it it just assumes you're going to give it the entire data set. So I've got to figure out how to get it to reload based on a paginated set. Yeah. Because I, I rendered a table with almost 3,000 records in it and it takes a little while. I've been using a lot of that scope, uh, scope slot stuff lately. And uh, man, it feels nice. 
It feels so good, especially when like, so anytime I'm looking for a plugin, that's what I'm looking for is something that supports that. So I can really have mm. t- a total customizability. I think the one I was re- recently looking for or using is like a type ahead sort of solution. And it does that basically exposes everything for you. So you can completely customize the UI of the, of the uh, component. And it just provides all the, you know, the backend yeah. stuff for you. So you can just pass in the list and then start typing and it, it provides you the data, but doesn't have any opinion at all about how you present it. So pretty cool. Yep. That's another topic for another day, though. All right. I think that's it on that one. Lara tables, Ajax support of data tables in Laravel. So you can check that out in the show notes. Okay. We've got a couple like um, packages and applications here. Uh, so we've got this Visual Studio Code PR extension. Either of you guys using Visual Studio Code? Michael, I think you might be. Maybe. Sublime? Sublime all the way. And Paul, you and I are PHP Storm users. I'm mostly. Um, no, <gasps> actually, and Michael knows this because I've been talking to him about it. But I, I went back to P, uh, to Sublime Text, and the the reason why is because I felt like I was losing command of like the other APIs I was working with. So using Sublime forced me to go and look up the you know the actual source code at times and kind of get more comfortable just you know having more command over the the functions i'm using in my brain instead of relying heavily on an ide to kind of so you felt like php storm was making you dumber anyway yes a hundred percent that's sad (laughs) so it it is pretty i'm more the loss of another php storm i'm not going to judge anybody yeah (laughs) i'm not going to judge anybody for using it i just got tired of hearing my fans and um yeah i just I don't need it and I haven't used it in over a month. It's, it's been awesome. Oh my so, gosh. <laughs> um, I've, I use VS code a little bit. Um, I just feel like it's still not as smooth. I, for me honestly, as I tried I VS just, code like pretty solid for a little while and it's just, it seemed annoying to me, but mm-hmm. if, if I was a complete front end JavaScript developer, that's probably what I'd be using though. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I can see the value of it for JavaScript. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it was really built for, wasn't it? For, for, for building TypeScript and JavaScript applications? Or am I making that up? I don't know. Someone, please save me. <laughs> it's Paul's fault. So, um, so let's talk about this though. So Visual Studio Code <laughs> added a GitHub pull request extension. So from this, you can uh, automatically manage and pull and um, uh, review uh, any GitHub pull requests directly in Visual Studio Code. So you can authenticate and connect uh, VS Code to your GitHub repositories. Uh, and your you know GitHub username, uh, you can list and browse any PRs straight within, from within VS Code. Um, you can review the PRs, which uh, allows in editor commenting. Uh, you can validate them from within the VS Code with easy checkouts, and then it has terminal integration that enables UI and CLIs uh, to kind of coexist, right? So you can kind of use both the UI and the command line interface to to uh, talk to Git. So it looks pretty interesting, honestly. Uh, a lot of those things would be really convenient if you could do that, like in my editor of choice, right, PHP Storm. Unfortunately, I've found that it's it's a little bit tricky to do so. And um, the one thing that's really nice is in editor commenting. So it could be really nice to be able to, like I said, in my editor of choice, be able to comment on a GitHub uh, pull request without having to leave my editor. That would be incredible. So this these seem like some pretty uh, interesting features, which if you're a, a Visual Studio Code user, uh, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't want to do this, especially if you're working on a team that uses GitHub to manage their workflows, right? So, Paul, you wrote this article as well. Any other interesting items on this one that you feel worth mentioning? So the main reason why I, I wrote about this one, um, I guess it's twofold. Um, these kind of posts do really well on the site. 
people seem to be interested in them and just learning the latest news of their editors. I mean, I understand you're in your editor all day. And then second, um, this is like the deepest integration, in my opinion, with GitHub that I've seen directly. And I mean, ironically, you know, Microsoft owns GitHub now. I don't know how closely they work together, but it it they they did work together on this. So I thought that was really cool. And I think it's really innovative what they're doing here. For me, since I'm, you know, using Sublime now, the, the GitHub interface online is very good. But this this would be really cool, uh, you know, a little closer to your code and your environment. Um, so anyway, those are the two kind of things that I really liked about this this extension. Yeah, it looks pretty incredible. Like you said, it's a really tight integration. Uh, almost feels like native here, you know what I mean? Like something like you'd expect to see in the GitHub yeah. desktop client. Do you, maybe maybe we'll see the GitHub desktop client go away now. Maybe that yeah. the integration has moved into VS Code. Maybe I mean it's in, it's entirely possible. I mean I, I don't I don't necessarily think that Microsoft would. I mean they wouldn't they wouldn't be in a position to assume that everyone's going to just use VS Code for their development. But you never know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I kind of think there'll always be kind of a place for that. Just just because it's not everybody. Um, you know the type of people who are working in Git. Uh, or GitHub specifically, you know, span a large spectrum. Uh, so, I mean, you have people who are going to be, I mean, unless they're going to put this into like Visual Basic, you know, visuals, I don't know. Does Visual Basic is, is now that, is that now in VS Code too? Like are all the Microsoft sort of things that you can develop are now in VS Code? Like, can you do that? I know PowerShell. I know PowerShell. You no, can, they're in the... They're in the they're in the Visual Studio app, which is a little different, but right. Along so I guess the same that's what lines. I'm saying is like unless Microsoft plans on moving, all, you know, this sort of functionality to every single one of their editors or their apps and stuff. I don't know. I think there will always be room for a GitHub Desktop client. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, speaking of that, um, yeah. and kind of as a transition, we could talk about Sublime Merge a little bit here, which is also another post that was written. So uh, Michael, tell us a little bit about that Sublime Merge. You said you've gotten a chance to use it. Yeah. So Sublime Merge is a a new GUI Git client that kind of came out of nowhere from the folks that wrote Sublime Text. The I mean the main developer behind that kind of just goes on these hiatus hiati what's the plural hiatuses <laughs> every now and then like between Sublime Text two and Sublime Text three he just disappeared for like two years and everyone thought it was dead in the water but he came back and and you know things got ticking along but Sublime Merge came out. Um, and, and basically came with, with the, the announcement that after typing git add dash p in a terminal one too many times, something that I do myself a lot, um, he, he thought to himself, we've got some pretty great tech in Sublime Text. What if we used it to build a git client? Could we make it fast? Could we make it buttery smooth without flickering or blocking? Could we make something that's really, really tight? Um, I've only been using it for a day. I think it is pretty good. It's 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 a really nice it's a simple UI. It allows you to do switching between branches. It allows you to do pushes and pulls, but not just like a pull and let Git figure out what to do with it. It gives you explicit options if you want to do a rebase or if you want to do a fetch. It, it lets you specify if you want to do a force push, for example. Yeah, I don't believe you can do pull requests and things like that in there. It's it's a fairly generic Git client, so it just assumes that you're using Git and then you can push and pull from an origin or a, a remote repository. But some of the highlighted features include an integrated merge tool. So if it detects that there's a conflict, it will actually allow you to visually um, handle that stuff in the the client itself. And I think, Paul, you you put out a video fairly recently about a tool you're using um, that's based out of some of the the developer tools that come with Xcode. Is that right? Yeah. So um, I always forget the name of it. But yeah, um, there is a diff tool. OpenDiff is what comes with Xcode. 
Yeah, and that's the visual tool. There's a video out there, I believe, on the Ner- on the Laravel News um, video channel on YouTube mm-hmm. that has an, um, I go through the workflow of how I do get merges uh, for conflicts. And so I use the get merge tool command, and I'm kind of hoping that this app eventually supports that. I don't think it works yet. Yep. But uh, when you we merge locally um, on the command line and you run a get merge tool, I would like that to open this editor. Um, anyway, it's kind of one of the, the key features that would make me want to yeah. use it. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I had a conflict there and, and it made it really easy to, to do it. Because if you open it in Vim or in a text editor, you get, you know, the, the carrots and the equal signs and quite often I'll end up deleting the wrong side of the equal signs in, in my merge resolution. So um, it, it gives you a nice visual way of doing that and, and seeing which is which. Um, but it's also got, obviously, unmatched performance thanks to Sublime's platform and a custom high-performance Git reading library. But it gives you advanced divs. It gives you um, commit search, which is something that's tricky to do if you don't know which, you know, I'm always searching on Stack Overflow to figure out which combination of, which combination of, um, switches and arguments that I need to pass it in order to search. And you always end up having to grep through it and things like that. Um, but you've got blames mm. and file and hunk history, which is good because you can just click through commits and see what changed in, in previous versions. You can switch between branches. You can pull in remotes. Uh, you can see all your tags and all your stashes as well. Um, and it also does syntax highlighting. So if there's any extra syntax definitions in your Sublime text installation, they'll use that in order to like highlight your PHP as PHP in um, in the diff view. So, yeah, I mean, Paul, Paul's written in this article, and I guess I'll speak for him. <laughs> to him, Sublime Merge feels closer to the good parts of a terminal integration for diffs than other GUIs, but more snappy and intuitive to use than a terminal integration. So, I'm, I'm as I said, I've only been using it for a day, but I'd, I'd agree with that as well. Um, it is kind of like Sublime Text in that it is, you know, nagware. You can use it for free. And it'll just pop up the little, hey, you should buy a license every now and then. Mm-hmm. I I think personally it's a little pricey. I mean, Sublime Text was something like $60 when it came out. And, and that was fine because that's something that I use all day, every day. A Git client is something that I could get away with, you know, not paying for, you know, and I, w- and I would continue to use Sublime Merge and not pay for it. As far as I can see, the only real benefit of, of paying for the license is not getting the nag window and also getting a dark theme. Um, but I, I like to live with a light theme in my editor anyway, so it doesn't really bother me. But uh, yeah, it, it looks really nice. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what other people think of it if they do give it a go. Um, and we'll we'll link it up in the show notes, of course. Yeah, up to this point, I've used um, Atlassian's source tree, which is sort of a, you know, it's a similar sort of idea. And this one looks better. And one of the complaints I have with source trees, it is just so freaking slow to start up and it like crashes on a semi-regular basis. And so um, I'm going to try this out and uh, see how it goes. I'm excited to give it a run though. should be fun. All right. What else do we've got here? We've got um, uh, a couple posts about, let's see, La Recipe, La Recipe, La Recipe. And uh, Laravel Health Panel, I wanted to talk about. We've got a tutorial post about uh, Laravel View Models, which was written up by Spassi. And then PHP 7.3 first release candidate. So um, let's talk about this um, La Recipe and Laravel Health Panel. Uh, Michael, have you taken a look at either one of these or no? And you can cut I this looked out. briefly at the Laravel Health Panel. Okay, great. Um, I took a look at the other one. It, I haven't looked it, at the other. I haven't looked at Health Panel. So I'll take oh, La Recipe if you want. Very helpful. Perfect. <laughs> 
Cool. Perfect. Okay. So Laravel Health Panel is a project by Antonio Ribeiro, um, who, if you've not heard of, he was on the uh, the Laravel podcast with Matt Stauffer a few episodes ago. So we'll probably link that up in the show notes as well. But it is a package for Laravel that checks if the application's resources are running expected. Uh, sorry, running as expected. And it ships with a huge number of built-in checkers, ranging from things like checking the configuration is cached through to DocuSign. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. So think of this as like a status panel, I guess, within your application. So you could say, if you have an external dependency, say you're using Cloudinary, you could put a, a Cloudinary checker in there and you could run from within your application a check to see, is this thing up and running? Um, it gives you JSON endpoints. It gives you a command line interface via Artisan. And it also gives you, I'm pretty sure, a web view as well. So you can set up a page in your browser. Well, maybe it comes out of the box. You can go to slash health slash panel um, and it will show you a, a, a screenshot. It's got different designs. You, you can you can render graphs. Look, there's, there's, too much, <laughs> there's too much to try and verbally paint a picture for you. But if you are looking for something like this, you know, I mean, it will tell you if bug snags up. It will tell you if Cassandra, you know, your database is up. If Dropbox, if you're using that for file storage, it'll ping Forge. Um, it makes sure that, I guess, all of your um, composer dependencies are up to date by the looks of things. It'll ch- check if GitHub's up. So, so many different things in there. And it would even show you what the error messages are for anything that does go down. So we'll link it up into the show notes. Uh, it is really, really cool looking. That's, I mean, that's what I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it looks really awesome. This looks like a lot of work was spent on this. Yeah, I think that a lot of people will find this useful. Okay, let's talk about, uh, and um, Paul, well, how would you pronounce this? Is it like, I'm thinking, La Recipe. La Recipe. I'm thinking like it's almost supposed to be, you know, kind of like the play on like Laravel, right? So Laravel, I want almost to say like <laughs> Lara Recipe, but it's La Recipe. Yeah, so it uh, it looks really awesome. So I, I think that uh, I was watching and kind of following Wave PHP this last week. Um, big shout out to Eric uh, who put who put that all together. I think maybe maybe a couple other guys out there, but um, Cal Evans was one of the speakers out there, and he basically said, "I think your project, if you haven't written the documentation for your project, then it's not done. Like you haven't finished the task, right?" And and um, basically just emphasizing that a big part of writing your code uh, also includes writing the documentation about the code that you just wrote, right? Because um, as anyone knows, if you come back to code that you wrote uh, six months ago uh, that has any sort of complexity or if there's any sort of like, hey, this is how you set up a new job to detect these sorts of things, whatever, whatever, and you don't have any documentation around it, you're going to have a very difficult time. Also, as we talked about earlier in the episode, just with onboarding new developers, um, the best time to write documentation is right after you've done it or when you're in the middle of it. So this project uh, allows you to embed documentation straight into your current Laravel project. Uh, and it lives right alongside your code and in your in your same repository. It gets tracked along with everything else in version control. Uh, so I think this is a really interesting option, if only for that reason. I know one of the trick tricky things is like, okay, where do I write the documentation for this? Do I put this in the readme of the of the repository that I'm working on? If I'm using GitHub, do I put it in the wiki? Like, where do I put documentation? And this kind of gives you an answer to that to that. Um, quandary, if you will, uh, by allowing you to kind of have a standard way to to push it in there. So the nice thing that they have about it too, is that it also has multiple versions that you can put in there. um, And it makes it really simple to do that. So this just lives under your resources directory in a docs folder. 
uh, and then you can tag it version 1.0, version 2.0, and then you just have these markdown files that get rendered into, into HTML pages that will be available at, uh, the sl at slash docs, a slash docs URL. Uh, and so you just write your markdown and then you publish it using a very simple config that they have set up and there you go. And so it, it will just provide all your documentation at slash docs. I will also say that it looks gorgeous. It looks really, really good. Yeah, it all, it's very pretty. Right, yeah. And it also ships with view component support out of the box. So you can kind of make your own custom view components uh, if you needed to have something uh, that's a little bit outside of what the framework itself provides without having to make like a pull request to the framework itself, right? So it really gives you a lot of flexibility. Uh, out of the box, it also includes view components for cards, buttons, badges, and progress. Uh, so this is a really, really excellent uh, add-on to Laravel. Thank you very much to, I want to find the name here, Salim Haddad. Uh, on this one, uh, again, another one that looks like it's been, just had a ton of work put into it, a ton of care. And it's it's obvious just because of how gorgeous it is. It also provides really nice highlighting straight out of the box as well for any sort of, you know, blade templates, PHP, any sort of that stuff. So looks really, really good. Really, really good. There are so many error trackers on the market, Jake, and they're all the same. But do you know which one is best? Honey Badger is best. And do you know why? Contrary to popular belief, HoneyBadger do care. HoneyBadger is the only error monitoring platform which can alert you about not only your exceptions, but also about things like AWS, Google and Azure going down, critical jobs and services going missing, SSL and TLS certificates expiring, web servers crashing, DNS fails, the list goes on and on and on and on. So HoneyBadger is not new but it is new to Laravel. HoneyBadger is an integrated monitoring system for Laravel apps, and the integration has been made by our very good friend, TJ Miller. He's been working very hard to bring the specific Laravel integration to us from scratch. So you might have used other exception tracking softwares. Tracking exceptions is great. It alerts you to your user errors before your users alert you to those errors, and it helps you get context around what those exceptions are and how to fix them, rather than the vague reports that we've all received from our users. So the best part about HoneyBadger is fixing errors before your users have a chance to complain about them. But not only is there exception tracking, there's uptime monitoring. It'll ping your apps and API endpoints externally and alerts you when they're down or configured incorrectly. Think of it like Pingdom or Odea, but for apps and APIs. And on top of that, there's also check-in monitoring. So Laravel gives you the ability to ping a URL when you run a scheduled task. This will tell you if that ping failed. So know when your scheduled tasks and background jobs go missing or silently fail. And we've all been there. Jake, you've been there. Oh my gosh, way too often. As I said, HoneyBadger is new to Laravel and they're super excited to get involved. You can check them out at honeybadger.io slash four slash Laravel where you can pick yourself up a 15 day free trial and be sure to let us know what you think. Thanks to HoneyBadger for sponsoring the show. Um Speaking also, speaking of care and concern put into a project, uh, Michael, I know you and I both get a chance to hang out with our good friend TJ Miller, otherwise known as Six Live, but not with an E at the end, a three at the end, Six Liv Three, uh, in our Telegram channel. And one of the things that he's been working on recently is building these Honey Badger libraries for Laravel. Uh, and we have a post on that this week. Can, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I mean. TJ went into a bit of detail around his his genesis, I guess, for starting to work with Honey Badger, Honey 
Badger, Honey Badger, Honey Badger, Honey Badger to build a new set of client <laughs> libraries for PHP. So, as as we said in um, in the the sponsor read that uh, they, I mean they've been around for a while. They've been really popular in the Ruby community, but they're starting to edge their way into PHP. And so, uh, TJ has actually built a, a vanilla PHP implementation that that allows you to hook into Honey Badger and also the Laravel wrapper. So that we can use it in our Laravel projects. So, um, as, as he wrote in in his post prior to starting to work on it, he'd never heard of them, and that's you know because of their roots elsewhere. So, um, the, the product features and offerings is it's it's a really comprehensive. Like it's not just exception tracking; it does the whole hog. So you don't have to worry about logging into multiple services to do that. So, uh, check out the post where he goes into a bit of detail about what what he did and and why he why he did it. Can I chime in here Please with uh, just one thing that he was talking to me about? Um, so one thing that I thought was really cool, and the post goes into this, is um, this idea that he got from the Rails uh, team that works on Honey Badger, um, like doing an artisan command and making it more interactive. So we get all of these um, readmes and stuff when we install packages, but this goes a step further and prompts you like for the settings that you might need to get going with a package, like what's your API key? Um, would you like to send a test exception right oh, now, really which sweet. is a really nice touch when you're installing this product, uh, you can go set oh, yeah. that's always the thing, right? If you set up a, uh, a package like this, you want to test it out. And, um, anyway, it asks all these things interactively and it will build your ENV oh, file word. for you, which is, I think, um, so, um, you've, you've been put on notice, everybody that makes packages in the Laravel community, <laughs> this is like stepping up your game here yeah. and making your installation more interactive. I mean, to I mean, Laravel's made it so freaking awesome with just these auto discovery type features, and this is just like next level. Just keep yes. going, you yeah. know. It's, yeah, it's, with, it's awesome. I mean, that auto discovery will get the package working straight away, but then you still have to vendor mm-hmm. publish if you want to modify the configuration. So, you know, it might, as you say, it's the next step. When it discovers that, can you hook into it, or can you, you know, can you run like a my dash package colon install? And it's like, if you don't want or I guess you'd only do that if you want to make changes and it would automatically publish the mm-hmm. config and, and fill in all the things that, that need to be filled in for you. So, I mean, it doesn't doesn't work in all situations, but, you know, in a lot of situations, it, it would be nice, yeah. Yeah, like, um, you know, packages that have, like, adapters with different configurations, you know, if you're using Google's API for something versus another API, you might have different configuration needs. It, it would just be nice to walk you down those different trails yeah. uh, depending on what you need to just get set up really easily so this is really yeah cool. some Good of job, these TJ. packages are really only meant to be to give you like some additional sort of helper functionality inside of laravel itself but a lot of the ones that we're kind of talking about mm-hmm. are any sort of package where you'd need to integrate with a third-party service right and i think in those cases i mean really in any case if there's any sort of help you can do to the end user that's excellent but especially when you have something where you're integrating with a third-party service that requires api access right it would be really handy just to spend uh, a little bit of extra time to to make that process even even a bit uh, more smooth i love the idea of sending a test exception right away because that's always one of those things is like crap how do i send that test yeah. exception again um and so that's really pretty nice mm-hmm. to have that right out of the box so it's it's very clear to me that honey badger like cares about these uh, very small details and absolutely I, I love it it's awesome absolutely i i agree well, thanks, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks TJ for working on that, and thanks Honey Badger again for sponsoring the show. Really appreciate it. Okay, uh, let's talk about Laravel view models here for a little bit. Uh, so this was an article that I saw written up earlier. Um, I guess it was last week, probably. 
And uh, this was by Spassi. Uh, Brent Rose of Spassi uh, created this package that really just kind of formalizes or encapsulates these ideas of, of view models. Um, would it be fair to call this a presenter or is it something different than that? I had somebody recently compare it to a presenter. What do you guys think? What's your take on that? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I guess it is. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I would suggest that the view model is more around housing complex logic where a presenter is kind of, you know, simpler. It's like, if you want to display a full name and you have a first name and a last name, you'd have like a full name attribute or full name method to do that. Whereas this might go into a bit more detail. Um, I, I guess at the end of the day, it's it's the same, but I don't. I I'd, I'd need someone who's used both to be able to tell me like when you would use a view model over using just a presenter. Yeah. So like I'll I'll kind of give a for instance here. So I feel like. In these view models, and so kind of just to give a, an instance, here's kind of the preface that they that they give for the article. It says, have you ever made a controller where you had to do a lot of work to prepare variables to be passed to a view? This really allows you to move that kind of work to a so-called view model. So in, in essence, view models are simple classes that take some data and transform it into something usable for the view, which is similar to what I would say, like you could use that as a definition per, for a presenter as well. Simple classes that take some data and transform it into something usable for the view. But for me, these view models really do handle a lot of like complex logic, exactly like you said. So I have a, an example where I have these... Um, this application I just created uh, where it's like you have refunds and then inside the refund you have tracks and then inside the tracks you have actions and then the actions have events, right? So there's this really, it's really a uh, quite large chain. And then um, ac- uh, events all the way down to the chain uh, will be have will have been completed by users and then I need those to be back, reflected back up into the actions. So there is quite a bit of logic and kind of wiring up happening between all the different pieces. And it was one of those things where it was just like, okay, I just got to get this, this crap done. So we just kind of like, I just kind of threw a bunch of stuff in the controller and just kind of like, all right, I'm going to make it work in there. But it, you know, obviously feels terrible in there. Um, and it can be somewhat difficult to test sort of some of the edge cases you're looking at when you have all that stuff inside a controller, right? The only kind of tests that you can have in there is, all right, I'm going to set up, you know, set up my, um, I'm going to do my uh, arranging, right? And then I'm going to hit a URL endpoint and then assume that what I see in the browser is actually what I'm wanting to see. But uh, with these, you can really kind of take that logic out of the controller, put it into a view model, and then you can actually do tests on the data, um, right? It kind of takes it out of that whole request response sort of testing situation and really creates it almost like a unit test out of it, right? So that's the idea here is that you have all this controller logic and you can pull it out into this uh, into this view model. And Spassi, as they always do, um, makes the APIs for these things really, really simple to work with. And um, it allows you just to pass it straight in uh, into your view itself. So you can just say return view, the name of the view, and then you just pass in this new view model object that you've created uh, with this package. So uh, that's the long and short of it. It allows you to take uh, this complex logic that would possibly live in your controller and place it in a class. And then again, uh, Spassi also gives you some really nice methods that allow you to do some formatting uh, and some things that you'd otherwise have to implement implement by yourself if you're interested in doing that. Uh, and I'm not going to read the whole blog post here on air, but that's the idea behind it. And it looks 
looks really interesting. I think it could be super helpful for a lot of people. I, I mean, I, I could just add, I guess, when I looked at this, I, I was really, I, I did like this idea. I wouldn't go for this or grab for it every Correct. controller. Um, I think you kind of just, you, you get this sense when you need it. And I think um, that's, that's important here because you do lose a little bit of uh, clarity. You know, for instance, um, in the article, um, there's a public method for getting the categories and then you in your template see it as a variable. So you have to kind of translate that this view model is converting a, a public method into a variable in your view. So there's there's a little abstraction there. Um, I wouldn't necessarily go for this on on every single controller is I guess what I'm saying. It just you kind of get this feel when you need to to go for something like this or like uh, a view composer, or, you know, some yeah. other pattern. To be fair, I mean, like that is kind of a. You know, we even have that in models when we have like a, you know, get get first name or get full name attribute, right? It's this kind of this translation of a method into a attribute that it gets it gets thrown in there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do understand what you're saying, though. Somebody who's coming into the project and not familiar with that pattern, whatever, might have a difficult time understanding what's happening and how that's being done mm -hmm. without having to go like read the documentation on the package that's being used, right? So... I do get that. And I totally yeah. agree that it is not a tool that needs to be used on every single controller. It's, you know, let the pain kind of guide you, right? Um, if you find yourself mm -hmm. having to assemble a lot of logic before you can pass something into a view, uh, this might be one of those packages you look at. But again, not you don't even need it in every project, much less every controller. So yep. it's a great package, though. It looks really useful. Um, like I said, I, I feel like I'll know when it's the right time to reach for this in one yeah. of my projects. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Uh, kind of the last thing we have on the docket here is PHP 7.3's first release candidate. Let's take a look at this. Michael, what you got on that? Yeah, so PHP 7.3, as you may or may not know, is due for release this December. And part of the, the, the new formalized release timeline timeline for PHP releases has, has specified that, you know, we have a big alpha period, we have a beta period, and now we head into this RC or release candidate period. And so they'll release a new release candidate every two weeks between uh, now and the the final release in December, just to to get the 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 next version of PHP into more people's hands, just to make sure that you know it is robust. People can start playing around with it. Um, I think Forge supports it now, or it's coming soon-ish. And and so basically, by the, by the time this episode comes out, we'll be right around the corner from the second release candidate out on the 27th of September. So we've we've talked about it a bit in in previous episodes on what's what's coming up in 7.3. So we've got things like trailing commas in function calls. Um, we've got the ability to throw exceptions on errors with JSON encode and JSON decode, flexible here doc and now doc syntax, a new is countable function and list reference assignment are some of the articles that we have up on Laravel News. We are you know, our pace for PHP 7 releases and development is much better than what it was between the, you know, the three years that was between PHP 3, uh, 5, 3 and 5, 4. So it's good to see that, that the language keeps moving and evolving, even if that involves type safety and no short closure syntax. No short closure <laughs> syntax. Seriously, what the heck? How can we not have this by now? It's enraging. Because we, we need type okay. safety first. <laughs> oh, all right all right okay rant over let's wrap it up all right let's wrap it up all right this we got a long episode. episode 70 is that what we are yes it is <laughs> still still episode 70
<laughs> I mean, it's been a while. But... <laughs> All right, folks. So I think that about does it for us today. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is episode 70. So you can find show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 70. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on Twitter, Michael Dorinda, Jacob Bennett, or Paul Redmond, since he writes practically everything we talk about anyway. Uh, feel free to talk to him <laughs> as well. And of course, if you liked the episode, we would really appreciate it if you'd give us five stars in your podcatcher of choice. That would be excellent. Paul, thanks so much for joining us on this episode. It's been awesome, man. Thank, thanks, guys. It was Absolutely. a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. And yeah. thanks to Honey Badger for once again sponsoring the show. Until next time, friends. Adieu. Adieu.